0: You are listening to UBC Waco podcast. (laughs) Are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Well, good morning. Welcome to University of Baptist Church. If you come here all the time, we're glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, I'm real sorry. Um, Okay, question. Okay, I got very nervous. (laughs) Like short sermon today. Um, some of you have asked, happy Halloween by the day, uh, by the way, this is, uh, the invisibility cloak. And so you may be wondering if, um, I was going to preach in this the whole time. No, that would be relatively obnoxious for you to only see my head bobbing up and down as I preach the whole time. I won't do that. Instead, I'll wear my classy robe and bring it out of mothballs. Oh, much better. My stole here, high church. Alright, um, okay, I'm going to just do this, Paul and Jen, feel free to just turn those back, I'm going to get going. You guys have a fun day planned? There's about 6,000 people coming to Colcord later today, so I've got to save my energy. Okay, we, um, we heard, uh, heard the story of Ruth. There are many things that don't translate from the context of the ancient Near East to to our modern-day situation, norms and whatnot. Um, so I don't mean to strain our, an already convoluted story um, about Naomi Ruth, but I couldn't help but notice this is a story about, among other things, the triumph of the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship. Uh... There are tropes that exist in our world, and and I'm not sure that um, this is one that translates. uh, But at the risk of of, um, adding something to this already pretty strained relationship, I want to talk about this for a second. Um, And why is that? It's because the assumption goes, usually by loving, doting mothers, that they have this little boy or little girl who grows up into a a fine young woman or or man, and they find a potential partner someday. And the thought, so to speak, from this doting mother is that um, this child is not really uh, uh, qualified to be with their child. And so um, there's a bit of, of dissent there. Sometimes you might even say some judgment. This in-law relationship, by the way, has been portrayed by, by multiple movies and all of its complexities. There was Meet the Parents, where the nurse Greg Falker proposes to Pam Burns, the daughter of CIA agent Jack Burns, played by one other than the Robert De Niro. Uh, there, there's Ian, who fell in love with Tula and had to reckon with marrying into her large and relentless Greek family. But um, I think that uh, the Ruth-Naomi relationship is best represented, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, by the movie that most explains it, which is Monster-in-Law. Have you seen this? Okay, well, we're gonna watch a clip just to remind yourself what's at stake in the story. (laughs) You've been so quiet, Kevin. Oh, it's kind of hard to get a word in edgewise with you two. Oh, is he great or what? I tell you too truth, it's a little scary. Enjoy it while you can. Here you go, some more coffee. Actually, I was a little nervous about the two of you meeting. Really? Why? Well, because it's important to me. Yeah, Mom, you're the most amazing woman I've ever known. And Charlie, I've never met anyone like you. You're real, you're honest. Real. And although we've only known each other a few months, I, I, I feel like I've known you forever. I guess what I'm trying to say here is what are you doing for the rest of your life? What? Oh, oh my god. god. Charlie, will you marry me? It's it, it's too sudden. She's in shock. No, I mean I yeah. mean I am <laughs> Happy for you, Congratulations. Oh my God, I can't uh, believe this! So happy for you! Congratulations! <laughs> so pleased that you're gonna be my daughter-in-law! Oh, congratulations! I can't believe this! So happy for you. Okay, for this next sermon illustration, uh, I've had this one up my sleeve for a long time. I've never told it. I didn't really get permission either, but. um. Is my mom here? I saw a car for... Oh, perfect. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, Lindsay and I dated in high school. Here's a picture of us. Kids, look what a, uh, a metabolism system can do for you. Um, <laughs> so um, we, we dated in high school, uh, junior year, and... Um, allegedly, and I don't say that in a spirit of disbelief, just trying to keep myself neutral in this one. About the second or third time Lindsay came to our house, it was after school. I was in athletics, so I was showering. She was in the kitchen with my mom, and um, <laughs> my mom <laughs> said to her, like, uh, you know, he's not really looking for a girlfriend right now. Um, <laughs> Which, um, I very much was looking for a girlfriend, and I wanted it to be Lindsay very badly. didn't know this for a couple of months. Um, but if, if you're a little put off by that, you should know two and a half years later, when Lindsay and I were broken up in, in college, um, our freshman year, I was doing a January term. Lindsay was home for the month, and my parents took her out to eat for lunch and explained to her that they thought I was stupid and that I didn't under, they didn't think that I knew what I was doing. So it all worked out in the end. Um, so here's Ruth and Naomi and um, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship. The backstory we just heard, a decade or so prior, um, Naomi and her husband Elimelech took their Talon's eastward across the Dead Sea into the area of Moab because there was a famine. Um, And and while they were there, Naomi and Elimelech's two sons, Malhan and Chilion, not sure how to say those quite right, uh, they both get married. Enter Ruth and Orpah, who I just can't resist calling her Oprah, so we will, therefore, in the rest of the sermon. Um, And then what turns out to be an almost Shakespearean tragedy uh, Elimelech, Malhan, and Chilean all die, so here 's Naomi and her pair of pagan daughter in laws and uh, to be honest i 'm not exactly how the org chart works on this one. There are a bunch of questions like um, were Oprah and Ruth free to return to Moab as free agents, uh, were they some way obligated to Naomi? Were there cultural norms in Moab that superseded those of Israel? And whose rules were they playing by anyhow? All great, great questions that I don't have answers to. What I do know is now that you have three women in a world that offers them little status, especially since they are widows. One might argue that Ruth and Oprah at least have the, um, the possibility of coming off waivers and getting remarried in a world that mainly values women for, for progeny. But Naomi, who, who doesn't have that or the prospect of getting remarried or really can her herself, volunteer herself for any kind of meaningful labor because she's older, I think has the most tragic story. She is a stranger in a strange land without status. Youth or fiscal prospects. Uh, what unfolds then is very endearing. The three of them start heading back to Judah, but Naomi insists that they re- return home to their families. And Oprah and Ruth are like, no, no, we're not going to do that. And Naomi's like, no, really, you should go back, be with your people. And then Oprah's like, okay, I'm going to take my way out here. Um, then it's just Naomi and Ruth And in this moment, Ruth delivers probably one of the most beautiful, eloquent statements in the Old Testament. She says, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. Where you are buried, there will I be buried. May the Lord do the same to me and more as well if even death parts me from you. Um, I think it's best to try and enter a story like this as vicariously as possible. So I did a, a thought of an experiment this week. Uh, here's a picture of my wife, Lindsay, my mother-in-law, Deb, and her sister. Um, just wanted to tell you a little bit about Deb. Deb is a very great human being. Um, she's very kind Generous, gives good presents that usually come in the form of cash, uh, has one of the best sloppy joe recipes on this side of the Mississippi, and one of the most endearing northern Midwest accents you'll ever hear. Uh, Deb, needless to say, has always been very kind to me, so I considered, God forbid, that I find myself in the kind of situation where Ruth does, where we lost everyone, and it's just me and Deb, and and how can I say this? Um, I would really, 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 really have to hear from the Lord if I were going to make the kind of commitment that Ruth makes in this situation, Speaking of Ruth's commitment, her eloquent words spoken to Naomi, um, interestingly, these get used at weddings a lot. In our staff meeting this week, Maddie volunteered the information that it, she was actually in college before she figured out that these were words spoken from Ruth to Naomi, and not Ruth and Boaz, a story that has really been romanticized and sanitized by evangelicalism. She just assumed that it was the exchange of lovers, but they're not. They're words spoken by Ruth to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Uh, just to add a bit of context, too, uh, lest we think that perhaps Naomi's just this uh, magnanimous individual who we'd all want to be around. I'll add this. The lectionary ends our reading in verse 18, but if we would have kept going all the way to 20, when they arrive back in Bethlehem, Naomi discloses that she no longer wants to be called Naomi, which means pleasant. She now wants to be called Mara, which means bitter. And again, I don't know what the tropes are in the ancient Near East. Marriage was such a different thing than it is now. Um, but it, that being said, it, it's at least uh, very serendipitous that this kind of relationship, I think, is the stage for one of the most unique heartrending expressions of love in the Old Testament. Ruth throws her lot in with her bitter mother in law. Um, this is it's probably a good time for, to be reminded of C.S. Luce's work on, on loves. He wrote a book called The Four Loves, in which he borrowed the advantages. That Greek has over the English, and he examines their words for love. I'll just review these very quickly. There's storhe, which is the most natural, emotive, widely diffused of the loves. It is the most instinctual. It is that explosive, ravenous, complete feeling that parents have when they, they look in the eyes of their child for the first time. There's eros. Which is the stuff of romantic comedies. This is sexualized, a romantic lover, and this can also be very explosive, though, in a different way. Then there's philia, which we're familiar with because of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is friendship. It is the least biological, organic, instinctive, gregarious, and necessary. It's, that is to say, it's the ne- least natural of the loves. And then there's agape, which simply defined is charity, a word we're not super familiar with. It's a love that exists regardless of changing circumstances, and it's the one that Lewis says is the greatest of them. Hosea, remember that story, was probably compelled into his marriage with Gomer by Eros, but he stayed because of agape. Um, sometimes agape can be the occasion for Eros, and so I think about the story of Beauty and the Beast. Bell had to love the beast in all of his bitterness through the hard work of agape and eventually found something like Eros. Uh, I mentioned last week, Lindsay and I went to this um, musical in, in at the bass uh, music hall called come from away here's the real life story behind this musical this is a true story uh, and, um, there is a an airport in gander newfoundland which is in the northeast corner of canada and this airport the city gander is on the northeast side of this island As such, it's positioned really strategically, or was, for transatlantic flights before we had these jumbo jets that could cruise across the world for several thousand miles. And so it was very necessary for these planes to land in Gander. So though it's a town of 7,000 people, or 9,000 people, it has this outsized airport. So in the confusion of the airspace on 9-11, there were 39 planes that were grounded in Gander, Newfoundland, a town, again, of 9,000 people, played host to 7,000 people. Um, So I got very interested in this story, uh, as I, I typically do. Um, and one of the more comical moments of, of the musical, a local mayor instructs one of the passengers to go just begin taking grills from people's yards because they're going to have a cookout. And the guy, as normal people would, objects and says, "Are you sure that's okay?" And, and the mayor's like, "Yes, just go start taking the grills." So I was very moved by this. And so uh, this week on our podcast, it was either this or I, uh, I actually started calling people in Gander. I found the town hall's website. And I started hitting buttons until I eventually got Bev Freeborn, the administrative coordinator from the recreation department, After Bev moved moved past the fact that I was a random stranger from Texas calling just to talk about Gander, she warmed up and she started answering my questions. And so uh, Bev, it turns out, moved to Gander in 1999. She was there for 9-11. I cited the grill stealing incident to see if it was really like that. Yes, Bev reported people just gave what they needed. She said she took her strollers and the other things that were unique to her lot in life and brought them up to the airport for people to use. I asked her if she got any of it back and she said no. And I asked her if that bothered her and she said no because that's the right thing to do. That's agape. When Jesus restores Peter in John 21, he asks Peter three times if, if Peter loves, loves him. It's a, a, a sort of a silly rendering in the English, but in the Greek, the first two times, Jesus asks Peter if he agapes him. And Peter says, yes, Lord, I philia you. Then the third time, Jesus, in perhaps his ever gentle love, concedes, and he asks Peter if he, in fact, philia him, and then Peter says, yes. I was thinking about that. And I wonder if maybe this is Jesus trying to bring Peter along into something deeper and more meaningful. I was thinking about agape also in my own life, and it's boundless between my wife, my parents, my children, my friendships. I swim in a river of agape. But Lewis might point out that all of that agape is rooted first in an eros or a store hay or philia. So I was thinking about the occasions in my life where I was loved simply because love is lovely. There was this one time when I was at my wits end financially in college, and um, I was about to be a casualty of the textbook purchasing conspiracy that all colleges that are in on, and I was going to have to pay $600. I did not have a random stranger, Chris saw me coming out of the dining hall, perhaps read my disposition, sat down next to me, asked me what was going on. She, too, turned out was a marketing major. I told her about the classes I had. She reached into her bag and plopped a $150 Principles of Marketing book on our table and said, I was on my way to the bookstore to sell this, but it sounds like you need it more. She walked away and I never saw her again, but I never forgot the act of kindness. Or there was that one time when we didn't have health insurance and Roy broke his leg on the playground at school. Feeling like you are unable to provide for your child's health care needs will make you feel a special kind of shame. So I called my friend Jackson at the Waco Family Health Center. I explained the situation. He got us in and out with an x-ray, a cast, and several follow-up visits for $85, which he told us not to worry about. You never forget that kind of generosity or the humility that it introduces in your life. I think about Kathy Tobin for... All of my life owned our small town newspaper, the Tomahawk Leader, where I grew up in Wisconsin. My father died in Minneapolis. Um, He followed his oncologist over there, so we'd go for visits. And when he wasn't feeling well and what turned out to be his last trip across the state line, um, he he died there. And so he died 250 miles from home. And we buried him that following Tuesday. He died on a Saturday in Fort Snelling National Cemetery um, in the presence of just my immediate family. And I was okay that our funeral was small because, um, you know, it was what it was. It was my mom wanted. But because my dad's death had filled up my whole world, I wanted the whole world to pay attention. That was probably impossible, but Kathy provided the next best thing. When my mom returned home the next Tuesday, she opened up our lo- local newspaper, not to find a mention in the obituary section, but a whole page written up about my dad. Kathy had made herself a kind of investigative reporter scouring the internet, looking at social media platforms, and the luxury of the small-town gossip train to craft a really beautiful tribute to my dad. Have you ever had these experiences where you discover that some people are willing to love you for a reason that you can't figure out? You'll know just how unnerving it is. And the reason it's unnerving is because when it happens, we discover how badly we want to be loved this way. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone love you like Ruth loved Naomi? Someone who, when there was nothing pleasant left about your life, loved you in all your bitterness anyways? I think that the point of the scriptures is to tell us the story of God, about salvation history, about God redeeming and loving us. And I think that this story of a Moabite woman choosing to love her bitter mother-in-law may be just one of the most salient explanations of that kind of love. And what is the fruit of Ruth's choice? Why make this kind of investment? In his really famous, I think, well-written essay about human sexuality, Rowan Williams, who might be quoting Augustine, I don't remember, has this line that I often think about. He said, love loves loving. I think there's a form of love, a kind that comes from abiding in Christ that learns to love simply for love's sake, the sheer joy of loving. And I think that is the engine of Agape. But I would like to suggest, because of the the principles of the nature of the kingdom of God, that there is always something fruitful about this kind of love, even if this love learns to love for itself's sake or for love's sake. Uh, There is a mathematician, meteorologist, guy named Edward Lorenz, and he is often the one who is cited for coming up with the example of the butterfly effect. You've heard of this. It was a really bad Ashton Kutcher movie years later. Stated simply or metaphorically, the butterfly effect suggests that a flap of butterfly wings is one of a trillion meteorological factors that can pour into an eventual tornado thousands of miles away. Uh, It's a pretty trippy reality that's true of all of our lives of every second. So here's a really obscure example. This is just a look into how my brain works. This in part happened because I recently saw this college friend, but my, my niece is a senior in high school. She's getting ready to choose a college. She will likely choose the University of Texas, horns down. Uh, Not everybody goes there for the football team, though. Um, And so anyhow, um, just a thought experiment. Well, why is she looking at University of Texas? Because it's in-state and she needs in-state tuition. Why does she need in-state tuition rates? Because she lives in Texas. Why does she live in Texas? Because my sister and I, for 12 years before they moved here, talk about living in the same city, and eventually they got the courage to come down here to Waco. Well, why are they in Waco? Because we live in Waco. Why are we in Waco? Because um, I got a job here and, and I work at this wonderful church. And why do I work at this wonderful church? Because I went to Truett and I worshiped here And uh, the occasion was that there was a job when I graduated. And why did I come to Truett? Because I actually had this exchange with a friend in college. There were five of us, theology nerds, that were looking at seminaries. And he mentioned Baylor because he was a philosophy major. And Bethel really loved Baylor's philosophy program. And apparently there were some loopholes. And you could take classes. I think Paul Karen did this. The mission program wasn't developed at the time. I'm getting lost in the weeds. point being... We had this exchange. I started looking at Baylor. I'd never heard of it, other than the ticker thing at the bottom of ESPN for scores. Didn't even know it was part of the Big 12. But I went to the website, came down for the tour. The rest is history. I ended up at Baylor. And so, do the whole thing backwards, my niece is going to the University of Texas because a friend in passing made a comment to me 17 years ago about going to seminary here. The genealogy of Matthew is fascinating, among other reasons, because... It has a list of unsuspecting characters that includes especially the women. Last Advent, I preached through these. I think um, Tamar, Rahab, uh, the wife of Uriah, as it's referred to in Matthew's telling, and then Mary. The, The one I left out was Ruth. But think about this. There are 32 generations between Jesus and Ruth. 32 chances for every single one of those matches to have fallen in love with somebody else are contractually been married to somebody else. 32 chances for couples to have conceived at different times. 32 chances for miscarriages or complicated deliveries. And yet Ruth stands in the lineage of Jesus as a foreign woman who chose to love someone through their bitterness. It is a dangerous theology to believe that God is a cosmic vending machine who rewards our promises, good things, in exchange for obedience. But it is quite common for God to grow beautiful things out of love. Uh, When my friend Delvin Atchison preached for us a few years ago, he had this line in his sermon. I I don't think it's his, I've seen it elsewhere, but he says, you will plant trees in whose shade you will never have the opportunity to sit under. The goal of the Christian life, I think, is to learn to love for love's sake, to get caught up in the mystery of God. There's this lovely line in 1 Corinthians 15 that I go back to constantly. In light of the resurrection, Paul reminds us that our labor in the Lord is, is never in vain. Investments like Ruth, risks like Ruth's, are never in vain. So I wanted to encourage you this morning. If you find yourself in a relationship that feels one-sided, if you are in a season of learning to love for love's sake, if you expected to be greeted by something pleasant and what you found is something bitter, I just want to remind you that your labor is never in vain. Someone will stand in the shade of the tree that you have planted. Our New Testament reading this week was Matthew 12. Um, interestingly, I had, not looking ahead, cited this, these verses last week in my sermon on Job when I was talking about these four stages of development that we go through in terms of formation. Um, and I pointed out that um, Matthew talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, but only Mark includes this addition. Of strength, I think that Ruth reveals to us the kind of strength that agape love requires. If you want to move to something more meaningful, if you want to move past deconstruction, then we have to learn to make commitment in the midst of ambiguity. We have to learn to love with strength. UBC, may we be a people who dare to step into the risk of agape. May we be a people who learn to love because love loves loving. May we be a people who learn to make hard commitments in the midst of ambiguity and love with great strength. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story of Ruth, the challenge issued by her relentless love, her selfless love. God, we um, we confess both that we sometimes have set out to love the pleasant and been greeted by the bitter, and also that sometimes we have been the bitter. And so we're grateful both for the occasions we've had to be Ruth and also the occasions when, have, when you have sent Ruth's across our paths to love us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use her story to, to graft us further into that kind of love, that we would be people who, um, who choose to love the bitter who choose to plant trees where we might not stand in the shade of because of you and because our labor in you is never in vain. We thank you for the robust hope that you offer and the, um, the motivation and the possibility of this kind of love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, at the conclusion of the preaching portion moment in worship, we like to take time and have a moment of silence and listen to the voice of the Spirit. Perhaps the Spirit will correct something I have said incorrectly Or perhaps the Spirit will minister something new. So let's listen together.